Welcome to a new episode of the China Flexpad podcast. And this is a new opportunity to discuss culture, company culture across the world. And we have a very special guest here, Eric Voigt, who has taken a lot of time to research this. And I'm really happy to have you on the show, Eric. Welcome. Thank you, Francis. Glad to have me. Thank you. So I've been around the world for a couple of years. I worked in China, in Australia, Malaysia, uh, Japan, I believe, Czechoslovakia, uh, Switzerland. Done this for about last 25 years. And usually I did this in the in a surrounding of where we had either a merchant acquisition situation or we had a situation of uh, turnarounds or mergers overall. So how did you first come to China? I first come to China because I am a lover of martial arts. Uh, I had the notion and idea that martial arts must be flourishing in China. That was 1995. I was completely wrong in this. Um, and uh, But I enjoyed, obviously, uh, the place. And I think it was an extremely, extremely interesting country at the time, uh, just at the beginning. And, and we see what happened over the last 25 years. It's really amazing. The main challenge, what we are going to discuss today, how to build an international culture in a subsidiary of your company in China. What is the challenge? What we're really working with is people. Now, that's probably not news to anyone here, but I think the magnitude was always, uh, for me, then a, a revelation. Uh, because at the end, if we look at, at human behavior and we look at human development or evolution, it's always about interacting in a group. Uh, and it also means that there is a certain belief within a group or a certain tribe uh, and this tribe flourishes or or vanishes depending on the leader and their adaptability so that same applies for the uh, yeah corporate world we, we have uh, groups um maybe under the same banner but in different countries um with different belief systems and different um, let's call it leaders or people on the head so all of that means when we mm, expand uh, or we integrate that that we have to work through those topics and there, there must be I, I, was, I believe at least that there must be a system um, or some sort of met, method how to work this out and what's your approach to work this out to build a method to do this well you know it's, it's learning by mistakes as always <laughs> through the through the years the method is is fairly simple first is, is the awareness that this really exists that's I think the first step um, how you work it out you look at the um, organization, and I believe I can say that we have different development stages. Uh, we can we can see uh, certain development stages in an organization. Um, I would just name a few. There are probably more than that, but there's there's a I think the obvious ones we all know is is the founder culture. So we have a very typical medium sized uh, company, as we have them everywhere. We, if you're German, uh, whoever's listening, you you know this very well. We have a great Mittelstand, but you find this anywhere in the world. It's a, it's a certain type of company. You have a founder who's who's very charismatic, perhaps. Um, he's very technical or, or very able or very um, talented in, in what he's doing and has a, a successful business going around him. They would be running maybe at 100, 150 people, and they would maybe make a turnover between 10 to 50 million, roughly. That would be one, and you would have a branch office in, let's say, China, in our case here, which would be a prolonged, not a prolonged workbench. At that, at that, in that stage, it would be customer service mainly being a contact point um, for the international customer that company has already won. But the center of the world for this company is basically sitting in the headquarters. And that's in Fillingen, right? 
Currently, my case it would be in Fillingen, um, uh, which is INGN at the end, um, which you have always in the Black Forest. Um, so in Swabia, Stuttgart, so you have many of Ingens, and, and, and there's you know home to many what we call hidden champions. Uh, Meta Toledo would be one, uh, which is not far away from me here. And whoever has seat belts in your car, whoever has this retracting spring in it, uh, there's the world leader sitting just next to here in Fortwangen, who's blowing this for almost all the cars in the world not have to change anything in any form or fashion. And if they want to establish their branch office in China, do they hire a Chinese person or do they hire a German to do this? Again, we, we need to consider which stage the company is in, right? So I said we have the founder stage, then we have a stage of success. That, that usually happens despite the, the, the company, which means they have a certain technology, they're sitting in a certain niche, and, and that goes viral or global, so they have to go. Uh, international or global. Um, and then after that comes the stage where they are really comfortable with being international and global uh, and they have a bit more standardization in place. Today might be a little bit more easy because you have more foreigners being being or having been in China, being in China. But I would say the tendency at, during my days usually was to uh, hire a Chinese person. Uh, and hiring the expat was usually the option after it went wrong. So that, that usually was the, the way it went. Uh, if it went wrong, many, of course, went well. Um, others who went wrong, I would say, my experience would say, first was the was a local person, no matter where, in China, in Malaysia, wherever. And then if it didn't work out so well, then there came the, the expat or flexpat. What could go wrong if you, if you hire a local manager for your subsidiary in China or also in other places? What are the things you saw that go wrong? Many things can go wrong. The question is always, for what reason do they go wrong? Reason number one is the China office is not successful. Then this is wrong. Option number two, which is quite often happening, is that the customers who usually have a more or less personal relationship with the founder call and say that the expectations are not met. There's something fishy going on. They will take that way around to talk with the founder. Based on that, I think you have a trust crisis and the founder will start finding out what's going on in China and will find out whatever it is, uh, independent if this is now a local person or a foreign person, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think I think that the trust is, is broken out. From that comes the next higher, so to speak. No? There's a, the, the next one. If we say then the remedy is a foreigner, we will hire a foreigner uh, for that stage to regain the trust and again build the bridge um, also with the ideas at least to the um, uh, customer. And if you compare the flexpad like me, who is based in China, who is willing to take this challenge, compare this to an expat who is sent from headquarters in order to do this, who comes with a network and knows everybody and knows the culture. So what's the value of both of them or the perception of both of them? We take the expert we send over. So the perception and belief is that that person has the network at home and can then basically implement this in the foreign country, in our case, China. Well, we all know that that's a, not that easy and many fail, which leads to loss of really, really valuable um, employees, which leads to really damaging the business. So not so great. So that's that's one direction, right? So the work is really on the China side and on the expat to understand the culture and work with the people. And, and, and obviously, we all know that whatever, if you first time send to a new country, your efficiency is probably 20% of all the knowledge you have uh, is probably 20% you can bring. So now you have the flexpat who's already there, the China expert. 
What's the value or perception of, of him and the problem? What's the challenge here? So at the Flexpad, we have exactly the, the opposite, right? So the Flexpad comes equipped with lots of local experience, a lot of culture, uh, knows the way around. And if we take China, particularly China is, I think, in organizational structure, standardization is extremely ahead of the world uh, at, this, at this stage at the moment. The Flexpad then basically comes to the headquarter in Ingen, wherever that is. Um, Fillingen. Big Fillingen in that case. And he, he will have to, you know, do exactly the opposite, right? So he will have to understand his own culture again. He will have to understand the founder's world or how, how he sees the world. And I think the biggest limitation is that you cannot bring your China world to Ingen. The expertise you have is worth 20%. 80% of your work is to understand how does the world look like in the founder's eye and in his closed team. So I arrive there, okay, get out of the plane. And what should I do in the first two weeks when I'm in Ingen? I think the first two weeks is basically you, you got to spend time with the, with the founder and probably have a beer or two. Uh, it's very important. And I think your biggest champion usually would be the sales director, salesperson, whoever's in charge in sales. So a founder usually in this founder stage will have a, a sales guy as a very close friend and an advisor. Uh, he will have the manufacturing guy and he will usually have the accountant. Call, call it CFO, but we all know it's not a CFO. Stage one uh, is is the founder, understand the world. Uh, don't talk a lot, listen, listen listen a lot, I think would be one. The salesperson would be probably your best champion to um, get your ideas across because the sales guy usually would have traveled a lot. He would be very extroverted. So he would be, he's selling anyway. He's selling inside and outside the company. And I think then you work your way towards the manufacturing guy, um, and then towards the accountant. If I went back to China and I have the blessing of all of these four or five people, okay, and they think, okay, Francis, he's going to make it now. So what should I do in China? Because we assume now there is an organization, there's been problems, and now we're going to start it again. So what should I do in China? Before you get onto the plane back to China, I think um, there is an important thing, for me at least, is to communicate to the founder is that change will be um, there the, the will be um, losses along the way and there will be um, upheavals along the way. Um, and before I would leave to China, I would already set a date for my next visit, which shouldn't be very far away. And it should be probably in, in four weeks or six weeks, not in three months. I think once you're back in China, I think you have the same work to do. I think whatever you find organization in Asia, and especially in Asia, are built towards a, a leader. Uh, it, it's it's Confucianism or Buddhism in in, in the widest sense in, in throughout Asia. That means you have a very person focused um, organization. So what you what you need to do is first you understand that obviously you've been in China, so you know that. Second is you got to find the opinion leaders, which not necessarily are the the leaders in a hierarchical sense in your organization. Opinion leaders could be the driver or secretary, or whoever else. Um, those are opinion leaders. You got to sort those people out. To my own experience, I, I really have to say is is that to a large extent, the middle management will have to go. We, not not a general statement, please don't get me wrong, but experience shows, despite my best efforts, the middle middle management was usually always very close ties with the with the previous um, um, general manager or, or or business head, and as it's a small organization. It, it hinges on that network, uh, and that network is built on trust, benefits, beliefs. So if you come in new, you usually find it very hard to change that. So what I heard is that, especially Flexpads, they come in and then they make sure that all their direct reports speak English and work 
in an international way. This means they have to replace the direct reports and bring in international culture. What do you think about this? Is this a good idea? Or should a com company now in China be managed in Chinese and, you know, language doesn't matter? I think if you're international um, and you act international, your customers international, you, you have to be international. You, you're acting and reacting, uh, interacting with with other cultures. So that means we have we have to create an alternative. And I think that's what's happening already everywhere. We, we create an alternative culture, which is based on English. Um, as you and I are both German, you speak English here as well. So that's a good example. And so I think the business language has to be has to be English. Uh, there has to be a, a a mixed culture between the the local one um, and the business. Um, and then again with the customers. So if you look at many of the hidden champions, you're dealing with um, customers who are you know the headquarters in in Sweden, US, Brazil, um, France, uh, and all we all know that even within Europe. Uh, the cultures are extremely different and, and we have to work with that and overcome this. So we have a triangle now, just, just to, to open your mind, you have a triangle now between, let's say, a founder culture from Fillingen, a multinational from France sitting in Suzhou, um, having essentially a different industry where you provide only parts in, let's say, yeah. So you have a multitude so you need to have an alternative culture. Chinese obviously is there in terms of well, the local culture is always there in terms of behavior, how you arrange your your um, um, sales uh, expectations. We all know that China working extremely fast. The expectation, customer expectations are extremely high. So international culture is the answer. Do you think it's easier for a flexpat to build this international culture in China or for Chinese professional who speaks English and maybe German? My tendency would be would be to say that it is a flex pad, and I I can also say why I think that is the case because we all know whoever has been in a foreign country, you understand that things work differently. It looks the same, but they are different, and you struggle with this at the very beginning. If you have never left your home country, so you will not have that. You will not have that awareness, and you will not have overcome that struggle, and you will not because you haven't overcome that struggle experience. You will not have the awareness. To be a bit more careful, you, you're working on eggs uh, at the very beginning at all times. So you need this awareness. Yeah, the challenge is if I go to Fillingen and I tell the founder what's going on in China, then he might say, well, you don't really know, right? You're not a Chinese. You don't know what's going on there. So then the Chinese manager would come and it, it would be totally different. You know, on the one hand, I want to come across German, right? On the other hand, I want to show that I understand the Chinese culture. So how can I do this in a good way? I do this in a good way is, is first of all, I said, you need to establish the trust. Depending on that organizational size, organization development stage, trust is the issue, personal connection is the issue. And you, your first job is to work with the founder. 20% of your whole experience is, is, is uh, maybe useful at that stage. 80% is to understand and work and build a relationship with the founder. I think the second important thing is with that is that you have the, the possibility that the reporting goes through you to the headquarter, not in other ways. I think it's very important along the way. You have a two phase, right? You have a China phase and you have a, a Western phase, right? When you're in Germany, a bit more German, and when you're in China, a bit more China. Uh, and that's what you need to balance in, 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 in that way, right? For the Chinese to be Chinese uh, in a way, 
still follow the same target. Uh, if you're in, in Germany, you need to be in a German way. And that's, I think, the essence of a FlexPet, that you can do that if you're successful. Now, I'm a very special China dreamer, let's say, a FlexPet, right? So I speak Chinese and, and I can, it can be good or bad. So would you say if I start this job in Taizang or Suzhou, should I be like very German or should I show the team that I like China or should I rather say, no, I work for headquarters and you guys have to understand how we make this work? It's a two-stage approach. The assumption and expectation from the employees at the beginning is that you're German. You look German, you are German, you must be German. So don't show too much China level thing, right? I, th I think so. And I think in the second stage, once you have sorted out your surroundings, you, you have a, a certain network, you can gauge who is who in organization. Slowly you start showing your understanding capability. And then people will be very appreciative of it. If you have a Chinese manager and you want to provide trust, How do you make sure you don't get into compliance problems, but you still show trust? I would say in my practice, it would be it would be two ways. So, so one would be that we work towards the headquarter with a certain KPIs. Towards my Chinese managers or local managers, I would probably signal that I do understand how the business works. And I would probably help and discuss in which way, in which way we can fulfill the expectation of the local culture and still being compliant. I think then you're going to be a really good flexpad because that's what you are then. You, you find a solution which is meeting the, hex, the headquarters expectation and compliance uh, at the same way you help your diet report to be successful in his job by giving him or creating something that helps him to actually fulfill his job. Eric, if you remember how you did this back in the day, how did you do this yourself? As a, as a head of an organization, uh, compliance is a must. Uh, and I think the expectation is a must. If you're the head of the business, or in my case, of our entire division, you there's absolutely no way that you cannot be compliant. No way. Even in China? Down the road, it's, it's a different story. If you go further down, there's dealings and readings along the way. Um, I think the most common way is that you have an agent, for example, uh, dealing with that. I think a lot of the work is done if you have your team set up that you do the, the final sales. So the sales development or business development, you outsource in a formal fashion. And the actual sales of the machinery equipment where you do, you actually do with your in-house sales. That was one structure uh, I found was working quite well. You have to understand that there is a specific requirement from the market and you have to deal with this, but in everything in the company will be clean, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I do think that this has also changed a lot. So now if we show that we are doing clean business in China, there is also a lot of advantage and all companies, even Chinese companies, they all try to find a, a way to deal with this. But it's really interesting. If our audience, if there is somebody 25 years old and tries to start his or her career in China and gets in a similar situation, have a very important job, but not as old as, not as experienced as he or she should be. What's your advice? How, how do you throw, show authority in this kind of situation? How do you manage this kind of a challenge? I think it's very difficult, to be honest. Um, you can only give advice from the, basically from the future in this case, right? Uh, if, I, if I look back, my, my biggest mistake was that I was extremely nervous um, and, and my dealings with the employees, it wasn't smooth. That's something you have in age 
it can be smooth even even if the tides are very high and and the storm is raging you you're still quite calm with 25 not so much i think that's very difficult i think you have insecurity you have to deal with that um, the only thing i can say is that go talk talk with with friends talk with older people and please do do be open to take advice uh, i wasn't at all times and I, I paid the price so this time i would say i would take probably take the advice um, if I didn't understand it with 25 or 26, I would just ask again to get it explained. That's a really good advice. Eric, when you look back on your career and what you achieved so far, what are you really thankful for? I, I'm, re I'm really thankful, to be very honest, I think in my in my history, I'm really thankful to my very first secretary I had. She was older than me. Um, it was very early days. It was, uh, I think, 1998. She was a successful businesswoman. She, 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 she stopped. She was a friend of a friend of mine. And she agreed to help me. I had a, I had a, a job on my hand. I was probably not very capable to do at the time. I was way too young. And she gave me a lot of really good tips, um, how to work, uh, what to work, not to be too German. Uh, I give a good example. I, I wrote a employee handbook. I spent, I think, at least good good two days writing on it. And she came in and said, Eric, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing an employee handbook. And I, I can't stop because whenever I find something... There, there might be a, a you know a, another way, and then I, I I write another rule, and then I write another rule, another rule, and she said, hey, you you're completely stupid." I said, "Why why is that?" And she said, "You got to keep this as wide as possible because we're in, we're in China. You got to be flexible. That the guy made maybe a mistake, but he's a very good employee, so you need to be flexible. You cannot just you know everybody the same, independent of his past or his standing or his age or whatsoever. You have to be." able to make a decision um, that is flexible, uh, you know, for that person at that time. So uh, at the end, my handbook was five pages instead of 50. So what do you see for your next 10 years? Hopefully more more nice projects. Um, I developed the method a little bit, little bit more and I find it, it's it's many problems I had in the past, I can, I can solve in a more systematic way without too much headache and sleepless nights. Uh, and I enjoy that. So I, I'm just probably going to see that I can try to perfect this and share this with, with as many people as I can. Yeah, like our audience. So I can really encourage everybody listening in to reach out to Eric. We're going to put his contact details in the show notes and he's very helpful. So there's a lot you can learn from him. And please also, if you want to help us, think about who has this kind of challenge to build an organization in China, build a culture, combine this culture with headquarters, bridge the markets and maybe doesn't have the experience of Eric and who could learn from this. And if you find this person, please share this episode. Just take a screenshot and share it and, and say a few words about this. This is how you can help us. And if you know somebody like Eric who could be our next speaker, please do reach out to me. I always appreciate this and we will do the best to continue this China FlexPad community. With this, Eric, thank you so much. 谢谢，再见。再见 ，Thank you, Francis. Bye bye.